All right, now now we live. So now share it. Get go on my page and share it now because we live now. Okay. Oh, there it goes. I see you. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. Did you share it? I shared it. I think I did. Okay. Yeah. I just see you shared it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You did. You did. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. We good? I'm good. All right. Well, this is this is our fourth um, clergy conversation. I want to welcome all those who are watching and who will come on. Uh, today is a very special clergy conversation because I'm so happy to be uh, interviewing one of God's greatest preachers, uh, one of my mentors. Um, and like I said, we have that father-son relationship. So this man is another dad to me. Um, I love him so much, so dearly for how much he means to me. I'm so happy to be able to interview dad, the great pastor, the Bethlehem Baptist Church in Lawton, Oklahoma, Reverend Dr. Willie B. Smith Jr. So dad, thank you for consenting to do this interview. And so I'm looking forward to what we're about to uh, share. Well, great. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for inviting me. I feel it's an honor. And I want to publicly say congratulations to your first pastor. Uh, I know you're going to do great things. And thank you for sharing this venue with uh, me and others. Because, listen, I just believe that hearing preaching from different perspectives is just the way we gleam and we grow. Because no one preaching perspective uh, or experience can explain the entire preaching experience. So thank you for, for doing this for preachers. Well, I appreciate it, Dad. So let's get right into it. Just so tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from and um, your uh, conversion experience and your preaching background. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm from Tucson, Arizona, and uh, grew up there and uh, attended uh, Grace Temple Baptist Church. Now, granted, my father uh, is, uh, he's, he's late. Willie B. Smith, he, he passed on, but he was a pastor as well. In fact, he founded a church that's still thriving okay. in uh, Tyler, Texas. It's called uh, Smith Temple. Uh, Dad was a uh, Kojic. He was Church of God of Christ. So he actually moved to Arizona, and that's how we landed there. And so I guess you could call me a, a PK, a preacher's kid, but um, I joined the military. And of course, uh, after I joined the military, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Actually, um, growing up in the church is one thing, but when I accepted him, I was in Europe. And okay. um, yeah, yeah. And then there, I began to become very interested in teaching the word of God and, and got to Colorado and started teaching and got up under a mentor. The next thing you know, uh, got to call the preach, set up under James Elders for about two years and uh, was licensed as a preacher right there in Colorado Springs, Beacon Light Baptist Church. Okay, so got the call to preach in Colorado. So do you remember, what was your first sermon? Oh, wow, man. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a good question because it's, I've preached so long, but my first sermon, I know I was preaching from James, uh, where James was saying, okay. uh, be a of the word and not just to hear of the word. Yeah, I can right. remember Okay. So were you, when, when you was your first sermon, um, 
were you, how were you feeling, you know, for it to be your first sermon? Were you nervous? Were you excited? Were you anxious? How were the emotions going on at that time? Well, my, my preaching experience, I would say, was not a revolutionary, it's evolutionary because I had been teaching for a while. And so somebody okay. recognized the gift of preaching on and, and, and shared with me that I, I had a call on my life. So by the time I, I, I began to preach, I was familiar with public speaking. Uh, but the preaching experience, of course, is much different than teaching. Uh, so I had a great mentor. And so he wouldn't allow us to get beyond our boundaries. And so uh, this is what he would say. In fact, this is what he said after my first sermon. Um, uh, they, he said he did well, but he has a ways to go. So he kept us humble. I was nervous, but at the same time, I was comfortable because I had a great mentor and he wouldn't allow us to kind of you know, get out of bounds. So after you preach your first sermon and going through those first couple of years of learning the, the art, the craft, the preaching, how how did you um, in your own work, how do you feel that you grew? What did you do during those early years to grow as a preacher when you first started? Yeah. You know, when you first start, I don't care who you are, you're going to make those mistakes. And of course, I made my share uh, because there's the difference between uh, uh, the art of preaching and actually the, um, the the call to preach or even the character of preaching. And I had to learn that over time. I never forget Dr. Whitlow, I was sharing with him in the office. And this is what he said to me in a very um, casual way. He says, when you get serious about preaching, you're going to do this. And I was a little offended at first when he said, when you would get serious about preaching. But later I came to understand what he meant. Um, some people again are focused more on the, uh, the talent and the gift behind the preaching and not really the integrity and the and the uh, the character of preaching. So I had to learn that in time and that came with experience and exposure. One of the greatest things that happened to me is when I was exposed to the national platform. Man, when I heard those guys preach, I had to, I said to myself, man, I need to go back and re-register because what I was doing was not preaching. So I think one of the greatest things that can happen right. to any young preacher is to get exposure. And one of the things that I also was taught and uh, has helped me tremendously is read. My mentor, James Eldridge, would say, read all you can, but just don't can all you read. Uh, as, as a pastor having to preach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, if your well is shallow, it's going to show. You have to have a deep theological well and even mm. extra biblical uh, uh, well as well. So you have to be well read, well rounded, and that has helped me tremendously. So, and I'm glad I was going to ask this later, but since you already brought it up, I'm glad you brought that up. So, Dad, let me ask you this question. How do we as young preachers, young pastors, or in your experience, pastors in general, how, what were you, is your, what would you say are tools to build a successful and effective library? Listen, man, that's a good question. That's a good question. Because I believe, to be honest with you, there's only two tools in the theological library. Our, our toolbox. Right. Uh, when Jesus came and uh, John uh, said in John chapter one, verse 14, he said, and the word became flesh and we beheld his glory as the one and only son, begotten son of the father. Watch this, full of grace and truth. Right. There's only right. two tools that Jesus used throughout his ministry. Grace, that's love, and truth, that's sound doctrine, that's revelation from God. That's the only tools we have in the toolbox to speak truth 
to preach truth and to exercise that in love. Those are the only two tools we have. Anything other than that, um, I, I just don't know if those tools are given to us by God. So the two main tools that we have to have is, again, that doctrine, sound doctrine, and uh, full of grace. But here's the thing about that. That means your library, whether it's a digital library or it's a, uh, um, a material library, um, has to be full of those kind of uh, literature. See, some people get a lot of inspirational books, and that's okay. I'm not knocking inspirational books, but to be a pastor and a preacher, you got to have some informational books, books that got fact, that have history, and that have sound doctrine. And so those are the tools, I believe, that helps us on that side of the uh, um, truth side, on doctrine side. And I think that's what's lacking today, um, the truth that's that's needed to be heard. Right. And so so you're so what you would say is, especially for us, you know, as we continue to grow, as we continue to um, grow in our ministry, grow in our pastor day, it's important to have those books where we know about the theology, where we know about, you know, doctrine, like because, as you say, we live in a day and time where um, the church is being challenged, preachers being challenged by so many things from the outside world. So it's important to have those tools available to us. Absolutely. And and see, listen, in, in scripture, I just, I'm convinced that there's a text for every context in which we live in. Right. You remember when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness? Every time there was a temptation, he got he came out with a text because there's a text for every context. There is a text in scripture for our current context in which we live in right now today. But if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're not familiar with um, that information, then you won't have a word for this particular context. And I really believe what we're going through right now, preaching, uh, the character of preaching, the integrity of preaching is being tested. Uh, we've seen so much of the talent and the gifts of preaching being displayed. But right now, um, that's not getting us anywhere. What's getting us, uh, what's being challenged right now is the character of preaching. Can we preach when there's not an amen? Can we preach when the church is not full? Can we preach when there's not a call and response kind of context? And so uh, right now, I believe the integrity and the, and the character of preaching is being tested. And Style won't help you now. Talent won't help you now. But um, a heart full of sound doctrine and sound teaching is what's going to get us through. Right. Right. Absolutely. So when you when you look at preaching um, now and when you observe preaching now, what are things that encourage you and what are things that discourage you? Well, the thing that encourages me, I'm still seeing my brothers still standing, being faithful. Uh, listen, we're not really concerned about the numbers. Uh, I see brothers going in when there's only like 30 people watching. And that's what gave me motivation to keep doing uh, what God has called us to do. But what discourages me is I say, and um, I'm kind of writing a book on that right now. I'm working on that. I feel Jesus has been hijacked. When I say Jesus has been hijacked, uh, many, many uh, denominations, many movements, uh, even politically, have hijacked the influence of Jesus for their cause, you see. And I feel we're at a time now where as preachers, we got to redeem the redeemer. <laughs> we got to deliver the deliverer because he's been kidnapped uh, by individuals and individual groups and movements 
um, mm. uh, to 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 use him for their cause. You know, just with the Capitol being having the insurrection, I saw a banner on saying Jesus 2020. Jesus would have nothing right. to do with that kind of violence. So he was kidnapped. He was hijacked. And so what that does, when one culture steals Jesus's influence and identity, that makes him unappealing to the other culture. And so this is why you are having this mass exodus, I believe, with a lot of young people from the Christian church is because they have been presented with a Jesus that's not really of the Bible. And so that's one of the things that discouraged me, mm. that um, many of those that are in the pulpit are uh, not uh, presenting Jesus or the Jesus of the Bible. Wow. Wow. So so would you so dad gave me a book. Um, he, he recommended a book to me a couple of last year, actually, just talking about hearing God. Basically, it was talking about hearing God more than you hear yourself. And then is there enough power from God in our preaching? So so, dad, let me ask you this question. And do you feel when you look at preaching, even your own preaching necessarily or influ or tell us how can we really feel the power of God in our preaching? Yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a good question too. Listen, man, there's nothing that can replace a good devotion life. You have to spend time with God. And, right. and I believe that when you spend time with God, it comes out. You remember Paul was talking to Timothy and he said, give yourself to these things privately and people will see your prophet publicly. And you don't have to ask or wonder if a person has spent time with God. When they get up to minister, you'll know. You remember when uh, I believe it was Peter and James uh, had gotten uh, accosted or arrested and they said they could take notice that these men had been with Jesus. And so there's right. nothing like a good devotional life, uh, praying, uh, reading God's word, not reading and studying for a sermon, but reading and studying for yourself. And uh, that's just irreplaceable. And if you have a good devotional life, there's just no way you will not you will not have a fresh sermon and the presence of God being there, irreplaceable. So, so you you started preaching in Colorado. Um, what did you do to train yourself theologically, as in pertains to education? Say that again. There was a little glitch. I'm sorry. I said I said, as you, I said, what did you do it to prepare yourself educational wise for the ministry? Where did you go to school? Okay. Well, first of all, I, I when I was in Colorado Springs, I did attend uh, Pikes Peak Community College. And of course, I was in the military 22 years. And so I um, uh, matriculated also at uh, um, uh, University of Maryland. But also because I was moving around the way I, I was and I couldn't just go to a seminary, uh, I uh, went online with uh, Hardy's Academy of Theology out of Seattle, Washington. Great school. I really enjoyed it. And, and it has a black curriculum uh, where it deals with a lot of issues with the black church and black history um, and uh, did that. And that's where I uh, got my uh, master's and my, um, my doctorate from Hardy's Academy of Theology in Seattle, Washington. So encourage us, you know, us, like I said, those who who can go to school, but those who can't go to school, what are ways to continue to sharpen your tool? Like if you can go to school, but if you can't go to school, what would you say are ways to continue to sharpen your tool? Yeah, well, you know, um, 
I think there's always a way to go to school, um, but but right. Right. the time may not be um, you know um, available at this time. But there's always a way to go to school because you got online classes, things of that nature. But one, uh, I say you have to get up on a great mentor, whether it's a a, a digital mentor or it's an in-person mentor. You right. got to get up under someone that can guide you. Secondly, there's so much information out there digitally, really be honest with you, that if you can't go to school right away, you really don't have to because of information, Greek, Hebrew, all of that is available uh, digitally. And so right. uh, if you make yourself available, uh, you can access that through the many venues. Uh, one is like Logos. They have um, uh, great libraries and preaching tools that can help an individual better their preaching uh, as well. So there's all kinds of um, venues out there digitally that you can prepare yourself and prepare sermons and even better yourself as a preacher. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that, that's great um, advice. So then tell me, um, how did you get to your first pastorate? Like what, what happened? Uh, what was the process like? How did you get to your first pastor? Yeah, well, the, the first church uh, was a rural church and I wasn't really looking for a church. And the church was, uh, the, the pulpit was vacant right. and they wanted an interim there. So uh, they came to me. I had just uh, retired out of the military and they came and asked me would I be the interim while they were searching for a pastor. Now, of course, I said, that's a great opportunity for me, experience. So I I accepted that, um, that, um, that, that, invitation and I was the interim for a while. But listen, they they began to fall in love with me and I fell in love with them. And the next thing you know, before uh, instead of looking for a pastor, they asked right. me would I uh, be the pastor. Now that's not you know protocol. It's not normally how that's done, but that's how that worked out. And I ended up staying there for seven years. Listen, one of the greatest things I learned about my first pastor is not about learning the church or how to pastor church. You know what I learned? I learned me. I learned a lot about mm. me, and uh, and I am so glad I went there before I went to Bethlehem Baptist Church, because there was a lot about me I had to learn uh, before I took that next step. And so um, that 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 church is the church where I cut my teeth. That's where I first started, right. and and like I said, the greatest lessons I learned was about me in pastoring. So if you don't mind, if you don't mind, you know, share with us because there are those pastors who start in the rural, everybody doesn't get to go to the big city for their first pastor. And as you said, you started in the rural, like, you know, so share with us, where, what, what, how did you grow, but how also can those of us who start in the rural, how can we grow, even though we're not in the city, but we're, we're not in a big city, but we're in a city still passing. Yeah. So how, how, share with us those experiences and encourage us. Okay. Okay. Well, first of all, there is a book called Christ and Culture. Uh, it was the work of, of, of Richard uh, Neiburn, and he talks about how um, okay. the church related to the cultures, you know, throughout history. And and every every culture had its own unique context. I bring that out because every church has its own unique context. So one of the things I had to learn in that rural church. Don't measure my church by somebody else's church. I don't measure the congregation I'm pastoring uh, to somebody else's congregation. In that area that I was in, it was only 1,500 people. So church growth was not a big issue for me because I had no pool to grow the church from. So instead of growing congreg the congregation, I was growing the individuals, the members. Now, don't get me wrong. The church did grow. It did grow, right. but I was not basing success on numbers. And so I put emphasis on 
building the body of Christ, building the members of doctrine, their belief, their faith, and also um, their service in Christ in terms of worship, working, and witnessing. And so that's what my focus was. It was not building um, um, membership, but building people. Now, don't get me wrong. We did some amazing things. We built a life center down there. Uh, we had after school mentoring. We did a computer lab. I mean, I even put together a, a master suite for whenever the pastor comes to town. He don't have to go home. We can stay there in the master suite. We did some great things, but the emphasis was on growing people and that rural, uh, and that rural town. So, you, so when you talked about these programs, and, and that's what I wanted to get to, because even though you're in a rural town, you know, how, how, did, how did you basically say, you know, I'm not trying to compete with anybody. I'm still going to do this because I'm led by God to do it. Because sometimes a person can struggle with that because sure. it's these things they want to do, but too many other things can be in their head. So how do you block that out? Well, again, you've got to look at your congregational context. I looked at the need in my community. Right. So, you know, something may be going on in L.A. Uh, may not fit where I was in that rural town, but I had to see the need. And that's the uniqueness of church ministry. You can't always do what you always done because that may not be the current need at that time. And so we had a great need in school mentoring and things of that nature. And also a place where the young kids could go after school because it was a rural town. They had no place to go. So we had it. Uh, a place called the Center of Excellence for them to kind of come hang out and have fun, but at the same time, it was educational. So I think every pastor has to look at that community need, that congregational need, and then build ministries to meet those particular needs. I mean, you know, look at right now in this pandemic, we've had to be innovative when it comes to uh, meeting needs in our community because we can't do what we used to do because COVID-19 won't allow us to do it. So again, ministry will be predicated on the need, the contextual need, that congregation or that community. So that should be your driving force. So when you are, when you got to your first church, um, what are some things that you learned to do and what you learned not to do that can help those of us who are just starting out? Wow, you got to know, man, I, I had to go through a serious transition <laughs> because I had just retired from the military. I was a master sergeant and all I knew how to do was to be direct. And one of the things I did learn right. uh, when I was in my pastor's observations, I'd get up and, and I'd let the people have it, you know, and tell them what they weren't doing right and what, do, what they were doing wrong. And then it came time for me to preach. Man, I couldn't buy an amen. Nobody would give me support. And then I began to realize what I was doing. I was hurting myself because I was bashing the people. So I had to transition from being a sergeant to being a pastor. And so one of the things I had to learn to do that in the pulpit, listen to the word, the pulpit, I'm there to pull people up. Yeah. And so I'm supposed to encourage them and edify them. And I had to learn that, that I'm not there to, uh, to beat them down or to browbeat them, but the pulpit is elevated in such a way that we ought to pull people up to where we are. That's what I had to learn about preaching. Okay. Okay. And so now let me ask about preaching. When a new pastor comes to a new church, when it comes to the preaching, from your experience, what, what, what should he preach? Oh, what should the pastor preach and what should the pastor not preach, especially when they're first getting there to learn the people? 
That's good. That's good. Well, again, that has a lot to do with the condition of the church when you go in. If the church is hurting, if the church is having struggles and right. things of that nature, you definitely want to preach sermons that's healing, that's nurturing, that's encouraging. Uh, but even still, when a person goes into a church that's that's that is healthy, you have to understand acceptance does not always mean, uh, I mean, arrival does not always mean acceptance. Just because right. you arrived as the pastor don't mean you've been accepted as the pastor. And so you have right. to go through at least four seasons, winter, uh, uh, spring, uh, summer, and fall, because during those different seasons, you're going to learn your people. You're going to learn the operation of your church. And uh, right. so, so that so the preacher should be in preaching encouraging words, uh, words that's going to keep the church united, words, uh, gospel, you know, just presenting Jesus Christ, presenting unity, um, words of love. That's 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 what should be preached on first going in. Anything that's going to build the church and cause unity and bring about uh, loving among the body, that's what the preacher should start off with. Until he really gets to know that church, that church needs, that church hurts, and also those people that's in position, because you really won't know those people the first year. Right. Oh, wow. That, now, that's great. <laughs> that's great advice right there to just continue to build up the people. Um, so is it is it possible that sometimes that, you know, we can get to a new church and we want to do uh, what we see, what we've seen from whether our pastor or mentor, but as you say, it, you have to know your context. So how, how do you know, because sometimes that can be a struggle because we, we want to do these things, but we also have to know the context. So how do you block that out and remember that you have to just stay within your context? Yeah, that and that again is what I call the challenge of the character of preaching because again, we're not supposed to weigh ourselves yeah. or to measure ourselves by somebody else's ministry. But again, how that how you how you get around that, uh, Pastor Brown, is you have to set a vision. And then your vision will keep you accountable right. and won't allow you to go out of bounds. That vision not only helps you with your uh, daily operation, your monthly operation, it even helps you with your budget. So if somebody right. comes in with this great idea, say, Pastor, I want to do this, and it costs $1,000, well, it's not in the budget. So you just can't come up with a great idea. So one of the things about a vision is it helps you stay within the boundaries and won't allow you to go out of bounds. And again, with that vision, you got to be careful because you can't go straight in with a vision until you know the needs of the community and that congregation. So I, I, when I first went to Bethlehem Baptist Church, I observed for about six months and then after that, I began to write my vision. And then about eight months, I gave them a vision uh, with five, with three windows of five years. So it had three segments, but five year windows. So that kept me and it keeps me in bound. And also uh, it keeps them honest as well. We don't have any haphazard kind of ideas showing up because if it doesn't fit the vision, uh, then it does not come in. So, and, so then let me ask this question. Set the vision. Um, how? Because I, and this is something else. I think sometimes that we we may see in churches or that we set a vision, but then you also see where it's like maybe the membership is trying to either get us off base, or the membership or some people in the church may be trying to offset the vision, and then you want to address that. So how do you you know it's important? It's important to stay on 
task or on tasks as they tell us like in, in with homework to stay on task yeah. but how do you stay on task because even as a pastor i'm sure the flesh sometimes wants you to just go back at them but how do you stay on task and just and, and not allow what they're doing to affect you well again man when you craft in that vision you got to understand um you 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 have to get buy-in with your key leadership uh, my deacons and I use the word right. my as a term of endearment, not a term of ownership, but my deacons and trustees, we sit down, we iron that thing right. out. And man, you'd be surprised at how sometimes they can give you some ideas that are even heightened your ideas. And then once you solidify that vision, then you go before the congregation and you present it. But you're presenting it as one after you shared it with leadership and they've gotten buy in. And then once it's solidified, man. Yeah, you're going to have those that's going to come back and challenge it, but it doesn't become personal because now it's a policy, it's procedure. So when you tell them no, you can take them back. Hey, remember, this is what the church agreed to. This is what we're going to go on. It's no longer personal. Now it's policy and procedure. You see what I'm saying? But that comes right. to getting back in leadership. But if you go out there and just do it yourself, <laughs> you're going to be by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you say now the first church was was it Bethel Missionary Baptist Church? No, Lord's Temple Missionary Baptist Church, correct? Yeah, Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptist Church, yes. Church of the Lord Jesus. Okay. So you stayed there how many years? I stayed there seven years. Seven years. I gave okay, them so, my word. Uh -huh. I, we have built a we have built a uh, a life center there, and I told them I would not leave until it was paid off. Well, they were they were slick with it. They tried to they tried right. to uh, finance for five years. I said no. Nah. <laughs> I told them we'll finance for three years. And, <laughs> and, uh, and at the end of three years, listen, man, this is what's shocking. December, uh, the building was paid off. January, Bethlehem asked right. me to put in a resume. February, I was at Bethlehem. So right wow. after it was paid off, God released me. And that's how I feel. Wow. I feel it's an assignment. And so uh, my assignment was up at the right. Church of Lord Jesus Christ. And so now I was reassigned to Bethlehem Baptist Church. I would not leave that church in debt because I didn't find them in debt. And so they were debt-free, had a building, everything was good to go, and I was released from my assignment. So how now how did, so did Bethlehem find you? Listen, I used to go to Bethlehem when I first came here to the military, so they knew of me, and okay. I had preached throughout okay. the community. I had left there and set up under Dr. Whitlow for four years and because uh, I just okay. loved his teaching and, uh, and his mentorship. And from there, I went to Church Lord Jesus Christ. So they knew me because I had been preaching throughout the community. And so when that opportunity opened, um, they they asked me to put in my resume. Uh, there was a gentleman in California and a gentleman in Washington, D.C. that also put in. And um, so God fixed it to where I got the pastor. OK, and you and you what year did you get called to Bethlehem? Wow, 2000, uh, oh, wow, 2009, yeah, 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 yeah. 2009, so, you've been, so this is going to wow. be, this, so this is the 12th year that you've been yeah, at um, 12 Bethlehem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so, and now, you, okay, I got one question. Um, your previous church, Lord Jesus Christ, what city was that in? That's in Temple, 
Temple, Oklahoma. Like I, I don't even call it a okay. man. That's a town. It's a hamlet. It's a village, man. One thousand five hundred people, and I think it's less than that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, man, the best experience a, a preacher could ever have. You know, if you go, if you gonna blow it, that's where you go. That's where you right. need to blow it down there. You know, in the crevices and the cracks, and uh, <laughs> people are kind and merciful and work with you. You know, so it was, it was great. Right. Absolutely. So, okay. So now we get to Bethlehem. So how was it those first few years at Bethlehem? Yeah. Listen, man, without going into detail, I got there, it was a wounded church. And that's about all I'm going to say about that. So I had right. to go in there, um, Absolutely. Uh, how can I say, uh, very carefully, uh, methodically. And uh, and it took a while. Right. It took a while. When I talk about being uh, arriving and accepted, I don't think right. I was accepted for about uh four or five years. And, uh, right. but I'm gonna tell you what I've learned. Uh, it's in those most challenging times that you gain uh, points as a pastor. It's not how well you preach, but it's better how well you lead and then how you lead in conflict and how you lead while you under attack. Um, right. I began to learn then, um, uh, if you spend time with the people, love on the people, and even uh, take some of the abuse from the people because they're wounded. You know, I always right. say hurting people hurt people. They do. Uh, if right. you do that, you can win their hearts. And then when you win their hearts, trust me, you eventually get their hands. And that's what's happened. Now, I know people that didn't want to see me succeed in Bethlehem. Uh, they love me to life right now. They, they, they love me to life. So it took time. Uh, it was a hurting church, but it is healed now, and um, it's 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 doing very well. So, would you say when you get to a church that maybe has been hurt, or you get to a church that really um, the members necessarily haven't always gotten along, and then here you come, you know, you, you know, you get you get piled on problems, you get piled on this member's problems or that member's problems. What are keys to just continue to just? stay with it how you know just ride that wave you know even though you're you're dealing with all this what it, what what were keys that you learned that you can share with us to help us yeah it goes back to what i said earlier i didn't see it as an occupation man that was a vocation it's a call it's an assignment so i didn't have right. a choice to leave that right. was my assignment and Right. Absolutely. Everything that comes with that is part of my assignment. The drama, the problem, the issues. I was assigned to deal with that, to correct that. And uh, that's how I dealt with it. I didn't look at it like I had an option to leave. I had an, another church I could go to. I looked at God has assigned me to this task and I won't be released from this assignment until this task right. is finished. And that's that's what um, gave me, I guess, the 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 will, I'm not going to say the willpower, but gave me the drive to do what I needed to do and to stick with it, even when sticking with it wasn't something I really wanted to do. Now, oh, now that, that's where I wanted to go. You you said you hit it right there on the net because you talk about assignment, but you also say stick with it when you don't want to stick with it because I'm pretty sure there are times you want to quit, times you want to give up, times you want to throw in the towel, or even times you want to go to a whole other church. You know, just, I mean, Absolutely. you know, I'm sure that's part of it. So when it when you get to that place, is that where the devotional part 
comes into play where you really have to seek God because you because you just hit on it. What started out as a really a storm, a mess, turned out to be something better. Now the sunshine finally came out. So is it important to make sure that you seek God before you try to make a move to lead, even though you've hit some bumps in the road? Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, again, that's why that devotional life is so important so that you can hear from God. You stay in tune with God. But again, uh, I just believe if a person is walking, if a pastor is walking close to close to God, he'll know when his assignment is up versus him knowing he's moving out of emotions, you see. Right. And uh, when when it's time, right. you'll know. But you got to go in knowing, and that's why I say before you accept the church, you got to go in knowing that this is my assignment. And if you take it, the church, with any right. other attitude other than that, then you will uh, look for an exit when things get rough. But when you see it as an assignment, listen, I believe this, God assigns you and he also equips you. So wherever he sends you, he going to give you everything you need and everybody you need to meet the task. And I'm just convinced about that. And I have seen that happen over and over and over again. Let me give you an example. I'll give you an example. Um, when I got there, uh, the credit was really, really bad. And our air conditioning unit went out. And it cost us $80,000 to replace that. Well, man, the church was broke. And right. so uh, it was hot. It was in the middle of summer. And so I was told by one of the deacons, let's move the church in the life center until we get through the summer. I said, no, 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 no. We're going to keep worshiping in this hot church because if we stay here, People will get uncomfortable and they will right. give. And so I got up in church and I said this, listen, we got all the money we need to replace the air conditioning unit. And they said, great. They start standing up and they were clapping. I said, but we got one problem. And I said, it's in your pocket. And so <laughs> I'll have to give what we need. And guess what, man? They gave exactly what we needed to get that air conditioning unit. That's what showed me that God had assigned me there and he also equipped me with everything I right. needed to be successful there. So it's those challenges, uh, 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 mountain by mountain, hill by hill, that shows you that God is with you and he gives you the confidence to keep on or to stick with that particular task. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I love that when uh, you said it's in your pocket and that you have the, that is your assignment. And so so then let me ask this question. When it is your assignment, you know, when you have these good times and bad times, you know, and you trust God. But let me ask this question. When you pastor, I know you can't pastor being afraid. Right. 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 So, so talk, so talk, talk, so give it, so talk to us about that, about not, about not being afraid while you're passing, because as, as you, as you've always told me, and you've always uh, spoke to me, because I think that we talk at least once, once or twice a month about different sure. things. So this is, uh, this is nothing new, but just talk to us about pastoring, but not pastoring afraid, but pastoring with the courage, the boldness, and with your, and following through on your assignment. Yeah. Well, again, you know, what the church is looking for in a pastor is leadership. And uh, and a leader is the difference between being a leader and a manager. A manager is just somebody that just, you know, keep everything the way it is. But a leader is visionary. It moves the church. And to do that, you have to be confident, you see. Right. And when uh, we say fear, um, you know, fear 
is paralyzing. You can't make decisions. You won't uh, uh, make moves. And people see that. People sense that. And when you sense fear in leadership, uh, it's hard to follow that, you see. But now you got to be careful with that boldness, too, because sometimes I'll see people that call themselves bold and it can be arrogant. And so we have to understand right. that we didn't die for these people. Christ did. And that we are uh, ministering right. to somebody else's servants, you see. So we have to balance that um, that boldness and make sure that it doesn't cross over into arrogance because uh, we are dealing with people. So, uh, again, the confidence comes from knowing you've been assigned there and you are familiar with your tool, your craft. That's why what my mentor used to call it being a bibliomaniac. Man, you got to stay in that word and know what the word of God right. is saying. And that's where we gain our confidence from, you see. So um, knowing you've been assigned there and being very familiar with hermeneutics and homiletics, knowing your craft. Uh, that gives you the confidence you need. And listen, you don't have to say no loudly to me. No, you can whisper no and still mean no. Wow. 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 Now that is something fresh. You can say <laughs> no and whisper without saying no and being loud. That's that's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. I like that. I like that. It's still, it's still no, no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so since you've been at Bethlehem, you know, um, and let me just say, when I first met that, I met him. He came to Wildwood Baptist Church in 2012 and did the simultaneous revival. And because I remember he came from Walton. And so when he came, I never forget the first time he preached Tuesday night. Never will forget it. I mean, I was like, wow. But what happened that next day at noonday on a Wednesday at the Antioch Institutional Baptist Church is something I've never forgotten because dad talked. He preached from Revelation chapter one, Mm -hmm. verses eight through 10. And he talked about John. He talked about on the aisle, but yet in the spirit. And then when dad started talking about Tortillian and and John being in the pot and John being in this melting pot of black oil, when he went through the theology and and the the, just going through all of that, I I was so impressed that day. And I never forget that Wednesday night dad came back and he was because we had developed a close by in two days. We developed. He said he was gonna take me back yeah. to law. That's why I never forget that. But that noonday, I never will forget how you stood there and how you preached. But I was just listening, and I was just fascinated with how you were mad, you were going through this sermon and going through this text, and it was just something completely new that I had never heard. So, in when it comes to preaching like that, you know, how do you find different ways to be? to be different? How do you find different ways to be fresh? How do you find different ways to be um, still authentically you, but come at a text with a different type, with a different spectrum, with a different, would it hit it from a different corner, if you will? Wow, that is a good question, Pastor Brown. Let me tell you, Chris, uh, the first thing you got to do, man, you got to find your voice. Listen, we have Yes. Uh, as preachers, we come up, we imitate other preachers, we emulate other preachers. And sometimes what happens trying to be like somebody else, we lose who we are. And 
before you can be the best preacher that God has made you to be or individual, you got to find your own voice and then you got to be comfortable with your own voice. Me, I, I'm just not a revivalist kind of preacher. I don't get them kind of calls and I'm, I'm glad about it because that's just not me. But uh, I, I, um, I, I love preaching the way I do preaching and I'm comfortable with that. And so what I learned uh, through preaching is if you keep preaching the same way, now I'm, not, I'm talking about style now, I'm not talking so much about your content. You got the hermeneutics, hermeneutics, you can't move from that. But when it comes to uh, preaching the same way all the time, you can become so predictable and boring that you will get tired of preaching the way you preach. And so <laughs> to me, I think what we must do as preachers is give the content, I mean, the text a voice. That's all our job is. Listen, John said, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. Sometimes we don't want to just be the voice. We want to be the brain. But we just got to be the voice. And I'm telling you, if you, allow, if, you, if you would allow it, that text will preach itself, man. And that's what really dictates wow. the flow and the style. Because not only is there content in the word or in that text, there's emotions in that text, man. And you can't preach every sermon with the same emotion because the text won't allow you to do it if you just give that text a voice. So when it comes to changing up my preaching presentation, it's not me changing it, man. It's the text that's changing it. I'm just giving the text a voice. Wow. Wow. My, like I said, this is why I wanted him, to, this is why I wanted dad to do this interview because these nobody's drops me. Because I will remember, I, I, in 2014, it was second Sunday in August in 2014, and I preached for that at Bethlehem. Yes, issues did. meet their about the woman with the issue. And I, I never will forget after I got done. And and the same thing you said, Jesus said to use what you said to me. Matter of fact, you said where everybody here because you told me you said you said get a little bit more experience, you're gonna be all right. And I didn't understand that moment. And then I'm gonna be personal about it. We office because you know dad and is I told these military didn't know how to take care of him. He used a boxing and illustration because he 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 told me he said you know you want to make sure you have you you spend in the text, the illustrations, because if you spend too much time with the illustration, time with the text, they're feeding the people. So that conversation is a conversation never forgotten to this day. I tell you that all the time, how much you really say my preaching when you when you challenge me. So let me ask you, when it comes to us, you know, young pastor, young, um, do you cringe when we teachable you kind of did you hear me said did you hear what I just said no, no say it again do I cringe when I said do you cringe if a young preacher is not do you cringe wow I man that, that didn't come through again I said, when a young preacher is not teachable. Oh, oh, do I cringe when a young preacher? You know what? Um, I haven't. I have not ran into that personally. Um, the the preachers that sit uh, with me or mm -hmm. under me, 
they they either um, learn or they move around. I haven't, I have not, because uh, I'm not going to use a, a young preacher that's not um, teachable, um, because I think that's has that's necessary for a preacher spirit. He has to be teachable, and I don't care how old you get, uh, you still have to be teachable. So no, I haven't ran into that, but I can imagine that would be frustrating. But that says a lot about. Um, of the preacher if he doesn't have a teachable spirit. So preacher, as a especially young person, for us to have a teachable spirit. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. You have to be. And so, but like those conversations, you now and also I will say, I I, I always that I'll be trying to get over it because they said I'll be trying, I'll be trying telling that but you won't do it. That's not that's not him. And so and so let me ask you um, how do you feel did you hear what I said? How do you no 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 say it again you said how do I feel what? How do you feel about Man, so, I, man, no, I, it's, I don't know. We're breaking up here. I don't know what's going on. Are we break? Are we cut? Are we cutting in and out? Yeah, now you're better. You're better now. Okay. How do you feel about hooping? How do you feel about hooping when it comes to preaching? Ah, wow. Oh man, how do I feel about hooping? Listen, let me tell you, I can't hoop, man, and uh, and I'm all right with it. But there's some brothers that, uh, man, will just preach your socks off with that hooping. And uh, man, I don't, I don't knock it. Um, that's not me. Again, I'm comfortable with my voice, um, but that's a more of a cultural thing. And uh, there is a generation uh, for that that really loves that. And there, there's some that feel uh, they don't need that. And I just believe that God has a congregation for every pastor. And uh, thank God that my congregation doesn't demand it because I sure couldn't do it. Uh, but for the brothers, <laughs> can. I don't, hey man, I, I, I love to hear some good hooping every now and then. <laughs> that's just the era I come out of. But um, that's just not my voice. That's just not my voice. <laughs> and so, with that, this has been a great conversation to have with you that you having this conversation with me. I really do. Um, and so, are there any others that you want to share with us? Yeah, listen. The last thing I want to share is, listen, we're, we're in some uncharted waters uh, during the COVID pandemic, man. Listen, we there's nothing in my library, my digital library or my material library that teaches me how to pastor through a pandemic. So we're all learning together. And again, I believe God is testing uh, the character of preaching and even the character of the church. So uh, this is a time that what you're doing is very helpful because we can glean from one another. We can grow from our experiences because, listen, we all are trying to figure this thing out in terms of preaching contextually and also ministering uh, under this shroud uh, called uh, the coronavirus. So, man, let's just keep doing what we're doing, keep encouraging each other. What you have is an awesome uh, platform and a venue, man, and I kudos to you. Keep doing it, brother. Keep doing it. Dad, and also let me just throw this as also a husband, father, um, as well, a mom, as well. So I thank him for uh, 
that as well as atmosphere. So just talk to us briefly about pastoring, but also making sure you're taking care of Taking care of the family, did you say? Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, again, man, that's part of leadership. Uh, you have to take care of home as well. Um, and, you know, you have to teach your church that, too. And uh, and I, I invite my church into my schedule. They know that I have to have time with the wife. I have the time for study. And uh, it's a unique thing to have a pastor's wife because she has to understand the challenges that comes with pastoring. Sometimes they want to stand up and, and speak for you. They want to fight for you. But you got to have the kind of wife um, that understands uh, your assignment and your call. But at the same time, you got to know that you got to give her the time that she needs because she's still a woman and she's still your wife. So uh, a pastor has to manage his time uh, with both the church and his family and uh, even his children and the grandchildren, man. So because if not, what you can end up doing is winning souls and lose your own home. And uh, some members won't understand that. I don't care how much you explain it, but you got to you got to teach people how to treat you. You got to teach them how to treat right. you. And you do that by showing them uh, your schedule. That's why I say one of the things about pastoring, you got to have structure. You got to have a vision. You got to have a plan because if not, uh, things will just creep in there. And next thing you know, you're consumed. So uh, that even has to be structured. Taking care of your family, that has to be part of your vision as well. Well, I'll say thank you so Appreciate much. You. Thank you. For Appreciate you. I'm out, I'm out the hot seat. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. Bless you, man. Thanks for sharing. Thank you again for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, don't log off just yet. This broadcast, but don't log off just yet, okay? Say again? If you heard that. I said don't log off just yet. Okay. Stay, stay on okay. just for a quick minute. But I'm going to end the broadcast. Okay. We'll do. Thank you all so much. Um, like I said, Dad is the pastor of the Bethlehem Baptist Church in Lawton, Oklahoma. You can uh, follow the church. Facebook, you can find, and then Dad preaching Wednesday night. He does his fifth hour, which is tremendous. You can always listen in on Sunday morning. He also has a, a radio broadcast ministry that he does Sunday morning as well. So, Dad, tell the Pete, tell the viewers about your doing even in this. Tell the viewers about Bethlehem. Tell them. Okay, well, Bethlehem, man, is a thriving church. It's growing. In fact, it's the oldest African American church in Lawton. We predate the state of Oklahoma. So I'm I'm in a historic church, uh, and it's growing. Our 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 demographics is man, we got people in their 90s, and of course, we got little one-year-olds. So it's a well-diverse church. Um, and uh we we have a great music uh ministry going forth. But listen, the whole thing about us, man, we believe in taking Jesus beyond the walls. Uh, we have an outward-focused ministry, not just an inward-focused ministry. It's a church that uh, loved the word. In fact, one of our uh, sayings is Bethlehem Baptist Church, the house of bread where souls are fed because uh, we put emphasis on God's word. So uh, we, we we do have a radio broadcast that we uh, come out on tele, I mean, come out every Sunday morning at 845 right before service. It's not the same sermon, but it's just something that I put out to the community 15 minutes. And uh, I'm on a hip hop station because I'm trying to reach those that probably would never right. come to church. 
And so uh, I don't get on the religious channel for that very reason. I get out there on the other channel where the hip hop listeners are are on. So they are hear a word, even though they don't uh, tune in to the, to the Facebook. And believe it or not, some of them become members. There's some of them start to come to Bethlehem Baptist Church uh, because of that. So that's taking Jesus beyond the walls outside of the church. And that's what Bethlehem's about. Like I said, Dad, thank you again. Thank you all. I pray you were blessed today. I know I will. So God bless you and, you. and this is another clergy conversation. We thank God for this time and we will have more another one. But God bless you and God keep you.